This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Continue our series in this, this season um, on the abominations found in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Today we continue our series with the second to last abomination, a false witness who breathes out lies. The sixth abomination from verse 19 is a repeat, if you think about it, of the abomination found in verse 17 of the lying tongue. Here the lying tongue finds further explanation to include those that punish others through their tongue, through a false witness. We could say this abomination is a caution of where lying lips eventually lead. The person willing to send someone to prison or to execution falsely is truly someone that is hard of heart. They are calloused. They're cold. The person willing to see the innocent suffer through false testimony is truly an evil person, corrupted by sin, devoid of love, devoid of decency. Yet it is very easy for us to cast stones at such sinners. It is easy to see the logs in the eyes of others in terms of their glaring sins while ignoring our own sin. Yet it's important to see the need in our own lives, our own hearts, for diligence to be on watch for this very sin in our lives, the sin of the tongue, the sin of lying, of bearing false witness. This morning, let us look at the dangers that come up with false witness and the remedy that we have in the truth of Christ alone. The root of bearing false witness is found in the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 15:19, where he said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Bearing false witness is found with the most frequency actually in the book of Proverbs and then in the Gospels. Our Lord was sent to his death after all by the accounts of two false witnesses. In scripture, as we read it, all matters had to be established through the testimony of two or three witnesses. The false witness against Jesus was vile in that the religious elite of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, conspired against our Lord to have false witnesses come forward and establish their wicked plot to murder the Son of God. We read further in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 18 and 19. Uh, it's important in understanding this abomination. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. 
so you shall purge the evil from your midst. For the case of the religious elite of Israel conspiring to falsely bring Jesus Christ to his death, they're bringing up false witnesses. It was the nation, if you think about it, that was guilty of this sin and thus deserving of the same punishment they inflicted upon our Lord. It's important to see the putrid development of false witnessing as it is allowed to seep in our hearts as poison. This hardness of heart leads us to do the direct opposite of what we are called to do with God's holy word, of being faithful witnesses of his word to declare to the world around us. The heart of hearts sold to bearing false witness starts with bearing a false testimony, a false witness about God's holy word to the world around them. William Gurnall, a 17th century Anglican clergyman, wrote, Compare scripture with scripture. False doctrines, like false witnesses, agree not among themselves. A common thread of the heretic is to twist God's word to justify their favorite sin. The devil, after all, twisted the word of God when he sought to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Anyone twisting scripture in any manner to justify sinful opinions and sinful lifestyles is actually bearing false witness. They actively practice the satanic art of lying about God's word. Twisting God's word to fit one's desire to justify their sins is the sin and the path that the Pharisees took to justify the murder of Jesus Christ. Twisting the word often starts innocently enough in our minds and our hearts, thinking we really are not doing too much disservice to God's word through justifying what we think to be little sins. In time, though, the heart, in becoming more and more callous, will find ways to justify more sin. All the while, such are lies that are first sold to self and then to those around us. In our own age of the last 200 years or so, twisting scripture has become normalized with what we call the higher critical method of God's word. The higher critics treat God's word as something to tear apart, to rip apart, to dissect out of context. Nothing different from any other book. In such, as has occurred over the last 200 years, anyone can justify their favorite sins by simply saying that they disagree that certain teachings and prohibitions of God's word are authentic. On this Sunday that we call Bible Sunday in the church, it's especially important to be wary of the false witness of the biblical critic that seeks to place humanity over Christ and over his word, following the same path the Pharisees took in twisting God's word to murder the Son of God. We must approach God's word with faithfulness. John Keeble, an Anglican clergyman of the 19th century, alive when higher criticism started to become popular, wrote the following that should give us pause before seeking to produce a false witness about the word of God to justify our sins. Keeble wrote, The Bible has now become a very common and cheap book, and the most part of us are apt to take it in hand too lightly. But here we are put in mind what it is. It is that which God himself has caused to be written. This is a great and an awful thought. We are told concerning people in the East, 
whether Christians or unbelievers, that on their receiving a letter from their sovereign Lord, they reverently kiss the seal and hold the letter to their forehead in token of deep veneration and respect. So and much more ought we to mind well what we are about in our dealings with the message of the great God of heaven and earth. His message, his word, is scripture. Every one of our Bibles, however we use it, is as truly and really his special gift to us, as if like the two tables given by Moses, it were graven on stone by the very finger of God, and reached out unto us from the cloud on the top of Sinai. Did you ever really consider this? Did you ever look at your own Bible with this thought? We must be cautious to examine our own hearts for sinful motivations when it comes to our approach to God's word and our testimony about his word. The path leading away from false witness we are all tempted to pursue is Jesus Christ alone. His truth alone, his forgiveness of our propensity to sin and bear false witness. The Pharisees sought to use a sinful means to convict our Lord. And even though they succeeded, it was turned on them through Jesus paying the ultimate penalty even for their sin at the cross. We cannot muster up enough strength, if you think about it, to get rid of our propensity to harm others with our false witness, with our lying, with our words. We need rescue from our own tongues. We need salvation through the death of Jesus Christ to free us to submit to him as Lord, to submit to his love so that we are free to love, so that we are free to speak his truth with love. We are forgiven. We're free to speak the truth in Christ alone, bearing witness from his word of what he has done for us. This hearing of what he did for us leads us to repentance, to ask God for forgiveness. This confession and hearing we are forgiven fosters a gratitude in our hearts, a gratitude for the truth in Christ over the falsehood of sinful humanity. Our lesson in Isaiah 55 verse 7 states, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. In a world full of false hope through false witnesses that gives us this false hope, this news that we are forgiven by God is completely compassionate. It brings us compassion. It brings us hope. It tells us that we are welcome as his children. It is the news that never grows old because we are renewed in his truthfulness every day. In the daily call to all of us as Christians to repent, we learn a reliance upon God, a reliance upon his sustaining of all of us in his truth. He fosters the truth of his word in all of us. It is as we prayed in the Collect Prayer for this Sunday, by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. If we approach God's word, if you think about it, as a buffet by which we choose what we like and we discard what we do not like, we exhibit impatience with God's word and will only suffer discomfort at an unholy word that we have devised, that we have chosen. The faithful approach to scripture is the view 
that God feeds us, that God sustains us through his word in its entirety. As we read further or earlier in our lesson on Isaiah in verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. When we go to things or go for things by our own labor through pursuit of spiritual counterfeits, we seek and work for things that cannot satisfy our souls. Yes, such things may seem filling in the moment. They may seem tasty at first. In the end, they are shortcuts meant to replace the whole word of God with lies and falsehoods, things that do not last. Our call, rather, with God's word is to listen diligently with great care and thankful obedience. God sustains us with this word, just as our colic prayer for this week states. His word is a true delight and is indeed rich food meant to keep us spiritually healthy. When we see his word as sustaining, as healthy, as delightful, we can move forwards and such while avoiding foods that in the end will poison us. The longer we stay with God's word as the center of our spiritual diet, if you will, the more we are equipped to discern what is healthy, what is unhealthy, what is good for us, what is poisonous to us through the light of Jesus Christ. As 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 states, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And further, in verse 3 of our Old Testament reading, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This language connects with the idea of God's word as nourishing when we incline the ear to God's word, we submit to God's word and we come to him in faith. When we hear him in submission by faith, he assures the life of our souls. This is everlasting. This everlasting covenant is initiated by God and is sustained by God, by his deep and abiding love for all of us, creating with us a new and a contrite heart that is thankful that is willing to testify to the truth of Jesus through his word. Our psalm for today continues these wonderful truths of God's word that sustains us, that prepares us to thus prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. As we read in verse 7 of our psalm, when I learn your righteous rules. Learning God's word is not as we learn an academic subject. Learning God's word is our entire lives. It is a lifestyle. It is for our, the entirety of life. The church year, if you think about it, is centered upon the use of God's word. Every day of the year, centered upon Jesus Christ, therefore placing his word as foundational to a life that is growing in him, ordering our days every day with his word. As we read in verse 11 of the psalm today, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Learning is connected to storing the word within our hearts with the intent of preparing us every day of our lives to resist temptation. The word, when stored within submission, aids in rejecting false testimony, especially the lies of this world that seek to make God's word to be no different 
from a human-inspired book. This act of dedication to learning and knowing God's word inspires the following as we read today in verse 4 of our epistle. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. When we reject God's authority for worldly, pagan, or self-righteous substitutes, we lose all encouragement. We lose all hope. See, what the world, pagans, and the self-righteous offer is really something that's full of self, which always ends with despair. The encouragement of the word sustains us in faithful hope to fulfill the call upon every Christian to bear witness with our words and with our lives to the truth of Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior. The response of presenting Jesus' truth as faithful witnesses is threefold. The first and most important response in telling his truth encompasses the other two as well. We find this in verse 7 of the psalm. I will praise you with an upright heart. This ends with the next line we already read of when I learn your righteous rules. Our participation and worship of praising Almighty together as the body of Christ is how we practice telling the truth in Jesus Christ. In this practice, we learn and are trained how to convey this truth in our words and our actions to those outside the sanctuary. In worship with our lips, speaking our prayers and singing and praise, the truth is uttered, opposing the false witness of the world, the flesh, and the devil. This participating in worship centered upon the word of God in Christ enables us to submit to the second part of being a faithful witness of Christ in verse 9 of the psalm. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. We are to guard our ways by the word, by the purity of Jesus Christ. As Psalm 119 verse 13 brings us the third avenue of properly bearing witness. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. Our lips are to speak the truth to all we encounter. We are called to counter all false witnesses with the truth of Jesus Christ, his death, and offer to all to confess him as Lord and Savior, to repent. As verse 6 of our epistle read today, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the mission of the body of Jesus Christ. It starts with our worship, informing the conduct of our lives, and extending to the world around us that desperately needs to hear the gospel message from his people that bear his word to the world around us. Our call, if you think about it, is a mandate to tell Christ's truth and loving grace out of gratitude for what he has done for us and thankful to spread this news, this witness. As Jesus told us, told his apostles and told us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 18, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. We live in a world where lying is breathed out as natural from humanity, bearing false witness at every turn. We see it and experience it so much that it's tempting to get pulled down under with this darkness 
giving up our hope. Yet our call is what we pray throughout this Advent season with the colic prayer for this season. Our answer to the good news of Jesus Christ and his redemption of our sins, even of our lying ways, that we cast away the works of darkness and cling to his forgiveness to put on the armor of light, his most holy word, establishing our lives, sustaining us forever. May we cast off the works of darkness, especially a false witness, by the power of Christ to submit to him alone as our Lord and as our King and as our Savior, sustained by his truth of his word, a true witness that brings us endless comfort, endless joy. Let us close with these words from Bishop Jeremy Taylor. Beg of God that he would, by his spirit, write the word in your heart and that you describe it in your life. Amen. Amen.